while they receive that offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out those Bibles. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is where we're going to be. 1 Corinthians 14. Um, if you did not bring a Bible, okay, you left your Bible at home, you forgot it in the car, there's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. Go ahead and pull that out. 1 Corinthians 14 in that blue Bible is on page 1062. 1062. Uh, we have been... In 1 Corinthians 12, walking through these gifts of the Spirit. We're in a series called The Gifts of the Spirit. And really what it is, is it's an extension of our last series. Our last series was on the church. What is the church? What is this church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to do? Well, now we're really asking the question, how? How is the church supposed to do? And how is the church supposed to be those things? I said a few weeks ago, uh, last time I was here, I said that... Everything that we're called to in the Word of God, everything that, that you are called to as an individual follower of Jesus and everything we're called to as the church hinges on the gifts, okay? Everything, the, the great commission of Christ, the mission of God, right, hinges on the gifts. Jesus does not say that, that you are to be the one under your own strength, under your own power to fulfill my mission, that you under your own strength and your own power are going to bring me glory. You under your own strength and under your own power are going to save people from the depths of hell. You under your own power and you under your own strength are, are, going, to, are going to go into the nations and, and baptize and, and create fault. No, he wants to be the one to do that. He's the only one who can do that. But he wants to use his people. He wants to engage in the lives of his people for the sake of his mission. He wants to be the one who produces it, right? Uh, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. He wants to manifest himself through you to accomplish the mission, for the building up, for the common good of the church, to build his church, to build his kingdom here on earth. He wants to use you to do that. That's what the gifts are. A couple weeks ago, Jake Jake Noyes was here. He preached on the gift of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or utterance of knowledge, utterance of wisdom. Jesus wants to speak knowledge. He wants, to, he, wants, he wants you to know knowledge of comfort, knowledge of love, wisdom into your life. He wants to speak that through you into others. Last week, Benjamin was up here and he preached on healing, which is, which is hard for some of us. But it's simple. Jesus wants to heal through you. He, he wants to heal people from, from yes, um, from emotional and psychological wounds and hurts, but also physical as well. He wants to bring healing into people's lives through you. He wants to heal people from sickness and diseases through you. And Jesus also wants to speak to people through you. He wants to talk to people through you. This is what we call the gift of prophecy. Jesus wants to speak to his people through his people. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Right? Prophecy is, is simply a hearing the voice of God for other people. All of the gifts are for other people. We talked about that several weeks ago, right? They're for the common good. They're for either the building up of the church or for reaching those who don't know Jesus yet, which is also building up of the church, if you think about it, right? They're all for the common good. They're not for us. And so prophecy is simply Jesus speaking to his people through his people. He wants to speak to people in this room through you. Now, that might not be the definition that you think of when you think of prophecy. I, I believe that 
many of us, most of us probably, uh, we, we, our culture tends to sensationalize this idea of prophecy, right? You just turn on the news, right? If you kind of Google it, you say, man, who, who are some like modern day quote-unquote prophets, right? You'll come up with all kinds of crazy people who say all kinds of crazy things, right? The things that I think about are people who can predict the future, right? They have this ability, like they know when the world is going to end. It's going to end in 2020, you know, it's going to end in uh, 1999. Well, that didn't happen, right? It's going to end. It's going to happen. Like we're all doomed, right? It's like these doomsday prophetic words that are just like never true. And everybody gets hyped up and they put them on the news and we sensationalize it. Like those are the people that get the attention, the crazy people, right? Or they're able to predict the, the past, right? I know who committed this crime. I know who shot JFK. I know where Tupac really is, right? It's like, I don't know why God cares, but apparently he does, right? We, this, we sensationalize the prophetic. It's just not, that's just not New Testament prophecy, Another example might be, um, right, uh, uh, somebody who claims to have this kind of direct access to God. I hear the voice of God, so therefore everybody needs to follow me. You got to follow me, right? Because I have the power. I have this ability to tap into God. I have the prophetic ability. And so therefore everybody needs to follow me, submit to me, right? If you, if you study like modern cults. So many cults are kind of birthed out of this idea. Somebody who says, I have direct access to God, so therefore everybody needs to submit to me, right? You just follow the, the money and the power and the sex. It all goes to one person, and they claim to have this supernatural ability to talk to God, and everybody, everybody else needs to submit to them. It's just like, ah, so weird and creepy, right? And so we're kind of like, ah, I don't know about prophecy. Listen, one of my goals this morning is to simplify this for us, Okay? Now, listen, it is supernatural, but I don't want it to be sensational, okay? I don't want it to be this thing that we kind of build up to be this thing that is far bigger than it actually is. Those things are not New Testament prophecy. In fact, those things are not prophecy at all. Those things are, are charlatans and scam artists. That's, that's what those things are. If I'm just, just going to be frank, New Testament prophecy is something very, very different than all of that. And so let's look at it together this morning, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, um, we believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is the Word of God. Every word on every page is inspired and is authoritative for every ounce of our lives. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, living and active. And so in honor and reverence to it, if you are able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? I'm going to read uh, from chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5 for us. We're going to look at some more of it, but I'm just going to read the first five. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. The first thing that we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is, is a really, really interesting command. This is a command 
right? This is an authoritative command in the Word of God. Earnestly desire, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Especially prophecy, right? Paul takes prophecy and he elevates it above all other spiritual gifts. He says all the gifts are great. You should earnestly desire, you should long for, crave, hunger for all of the gifts. All the gifts. Teaching and leadership and healing and and word of wisdom, word of knowledge, all of the gifts, all of them. But above all, prophecy. Hunger for it, long for it, desire it. It is better than all of them. It is better than all the rest. Now this is is an interesting thing. It's an interesting command to to command someone to desire something in and of itself is strange. Okay? If I command you to long for something that you've never experienced, how will you ever, how will you ever get there? How will you ever actually long for that thing that you don't know what it is? Right? Some of you who have been around Flourishing Grace for a while um, know I'm from Chicago. And you've heard me talk about something in Chicago that I earnestly desire quite often. I, I earnestly desire Stan's Donuts. Earnestly long for them regularly. There, there's often, anytime someone ever brings me a donut, it makes me think of Stan's Donuts. Because all of the donuts on the face of the earth pale in comparison to a Stan's Donut. Now, you, you don't long for that. You, you don't earnestly desire Stan's Donuts. Why? You know what it is. You've never experienced it. You've never tasted and seen the glorious goodness and delight of a Stan's Donut. Now, if I explain it to you, if I describe it, right, if I tell you it is the best donut dough ever formed, ever made. I don't know what they put in it other than crack cocaine. Like, I don't know what they put in it. It's so good. It's so good. You just, you just come back longing for more. But it didn't stop there, no. They fill it with the most delicious peanut butter you've ever tasted. They don't buy the peanut butter at the store. No, this is homemade peanut butter. It's not like peanut butter that you can get at Smith's, okay? You can't buy this peanut butter. It is special peanut butter they put inside of this thing, and then they cover it in chocolate. Not just, the, not just any chocolate. Not that cheap donut shop chocolate chocolate. No, this is like legit chocolate. It's so unbelievably good. And if you get one at the right time of day when it's just come right out of the steamer and it is hot and gooey and delicious, there is just nothing that compares. Now, some of you in the room are like, okay, you got me. I'm interested. I'm desiring that. I'm desiring that. But even still, even still, you're not earnestly desiring it the way that I desire it. I've had friends from Flourishing Grace who have gone to Chicago. I'm like, dude, you got to get a Stan's Donut. And they go, and they visit the city, and they take in all the sites, and guess what they don't do? They don't get a Stan's Donut. Like, what is wrong with you? They've never tasted. They've never seen. Now, my family, they know. Right? When we go back to Chicago, my wife knows. She's not, it's not, are we going to get a Stan's? When are we going to Stan's? When are we going to Stan's? My little boy, Winston, he knows. When are we going to Stan's? They, they've tasted, and they've seen. They know. They know. How unbelievable it is. You see, it's a, it's a strange thing if I were to say, you know what, I command you to earnestly desire a Stan's Donut. That's just strange. It's weird. But you see, Paul has tasted the goodness of prophecy. He knows how good it is for the church. 
He knows that unlike any other gift, the gift of prophecy builds up the church. It encourages the church. It does profound things to craft and mold a healthy church. He says, so he says, and you've got to desire this above all of the other gifts because it's so much better for you and for those around you, for those in the church in Corinth and for those in the church of flourishing grace. And so one of my great hopes for this morning is that you would begin to pursue a longing. That might sound strange, but to pursue a desire that in you, you would begin to cultivate and you'd ask God to cultivate in you a desire for the gift of prophecy and that he would give you a taste that you might taste and see the goodness of it. Oh, that the people in your life would hear the words that God has for them through you. That they would be brought to a place of complete and total, just mind-blowing compassion, knowing that God loves them and knows their intimate longings and desires, their pains and their sorrows, their most hidden sins, that he knows it and he loves them in spite of it all because he has spoken it through some of you. Jesus wants to speak to his people through his people. This is not, sen- this is not some sensational predicting the future, the world's going to end crazy thing. It's just God longing to speak to his people through his people. Now, some of you might say, well, why? Why would God want to speak to his people through his people when he could just speak to me directly? Right? Why does God want to speak to me through you when he could just speak to me directly? We know that God, we know that every follower of Jesus has the ability to regularly hear the voice of God in their lives. Right? John 10, 27. We have this we have the ability to listen to, to engage with God, to hear his voice in our lives. Why would he want to speak to me through someone else when he could just speak to me directly? I think there's a number of reasons for this. Um, for, I talked about it a few weeks ago, right? We move so fast at such a pace. We're constantly going and going and going and going. There's never a time that we slow down and just listen, right? So sometimes God needs to get our attention by speaking to us through someone else because we're not listening. So he speaks a word in our life to stop us in our tracks and to remind us that we need to be a people who slow down and draw near and make time to cultivate an intimate relationship with him. Sometimes we're so consumed by our pain and our sorrow and our immediate circumstances that, that we are not listening. He's, he stops us in our tracks and reminds us that he is near, that he is with us in that pain, he is with us in that sorrow. Other times, it's just, it's just, it's just a more loving thing. All right, my wife Desiree, she was in the, in the 915 gathering. Uh, she loves notes. She loves notes of encouragement. Like I could get, open the, the source and come up with the most way unbelievable words, hundreds of words that are just so profound and deep and speak them to her. And she would rather have like three words on a post-it note. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. But listen, isn't it more special when you receive a letter in the mail versus like a text? And when somebody writes you a handwritten letter to let you know how much they love you and care about you and, and how much they're thinking of you versus like a test, like, how you doing, bro? It's just so much more weighty. It's so much more meaningful. Prophecy, in a way, is God just speaking his love into our lives through someone else. It's the postal service rather than a quick text. It's just a weightier way. And we see it is a supernatural thing. 
It's a supernatural word. There's no way that this person could have known these intimate details of your life. There's no way that they could have known that these things that are going on. There's no, it's a supernatural kind of awakening and shaking of our souls where we say, oh man, he does love me. We're reminded of his deep love and his affection and his knowledge and his nearness and his beauty through the gift of prophecy. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. If you just flip down, it'll be up on your screen. A little bit further down in that text, he says, Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for believers, not for unbelievers, but for believers. God wants to speak to his people through his people. He wants to speak to his people through his people. He wants to give us his church. A sign that he is near, that he loves us. All right, let's get practical. What does this actually look like? What does it actually look like? New Testament prophecy. What is New Testament prophecy, right? There is, this is different than Old Testament prophecy. It's different than the prophecy that's claimed to be, I already said, kind of sensationalizing the media. It's just a different thing. It is a revelation from God, right? This is a revel- revelatory gift. It's a revelatory word, right? We see this in that same text, 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 30, 32. Paul says this. He's kind of giving instructions on how this should play out within the church. He says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, Let the first be silent, right? So prophecy is a revelation. For you can all prophecy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So it's something that we we have the ability to either speak or not speak, right? The spirits of the prophets are in subject to the spirits. uh, The spirit of prophecy is in subject to the spirit of the prophets. We have the ability to say, you know, I don't want to say this. God's given me a word, but uh, I don't want to do that. Right? So you can, you can reject it. And you can say, I'm not going to speak it. You can say, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait my turn, which is what Paul is talking about here. It's like, if this is happening in the gathering, somebody's like, man, I have a word. And, well, and somebody else is like, I have a word too. It's like, well, you can wait, right? But ultimately, it's a, it's a revelation. It's a revelatory gift from God. Now, it's not an authoritative revelation. We're going to talk about that in a, in a minute. We'll, we'll get there. Um, New Testament prophecy is helpful. Um, and it builds up the people, uh, and it gives us good direction. It, it encourages us. We see this in verse 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation, right? It, it, it's, it's good news. It reminds us of the nearness of God. It reminds us of the love of God. It reminds us that he's with us in our time of trouble. It reminds us that he's helping us in our time of, of, of strength or goodness. The one who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, builds up himself. But the one who speaks, the one who prophesies, builds up the church. It exists to, to edify, to build up, to encourage us. It's good. It's good for us. We see this in different places in, in the Word of God, right? In Acts 15, Judas and Silas, they speak prophetically. God speaks through them. It's a manifestation of the Spirit, right? To the whole gathering, to build them up, to encourage those who are present there in Acts 15. Um, but we also see in a different way, right? God um, speaks to instruct or give kind of a, a, like a present priority, for someone's life. We see this different places in Acts. In Acts 
10 and 11, right? God speaks to Peter and pointing to, directing him to the, the Gentiles, right? Take and eat, take and eat. But then he also speaks to the, the Gentile official to, 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 to give him a word so that Peter would know, I mean, this is, this is legit, this is true. You can, you can test this. This is God engaging in your life, manifesting himself for the common good. So the gospel would go to the Gentiles. In Acts 16, uh, 6 through 10, um, Right, Paul and uh, his disciples are in a position where the Spirit has said, I don't want you to go to Asia. And then it says, man, I want you to go to Macedonia. It's kind of this present priority for the common good. The Spirit is, is giving them a word and giving them direction. But for the most part, it's this kind of encouraging, uplifting thing. This encouraging word for people. It's a spontaneous revelation from God for a person or a small group of people. Okay? It's a spontaneous word from God for a person, for a specific person, or a small group of people. Maybe, maybe a local church. But what is it not? Let's just clear up a few misconceptions before we go any further. Um, it is not primarily the ability to predict the future. We kind of talked about this earlier, right? Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy are different. We do see this in the Old Testament, this, this kind of future um, but even, even in that, um, many times when kind of the future is stated through an Old Testament prophet, it's in order to, to give a, a, current, a current priority of God, right? The people have gone astray. The prophet says, if you do not turn from those ways, this is the future result. But if you do, if you come back to God, this is the future result. Right? So yes, there's a prediction of the future. There's an ability to see the future, but it's in order to... It's in order to gain, to kind of show, to reveal the present priority of God. It's Old Testament, right? Old Testament prophecy, we see uh, Messianic prophecies, foreshadowing, telling of the coming of Christ. We see even some of the apostles in the New Testament who have this ability to, to, to foreshadow to the second coming of Christ, right? Paul and John, they have these, these revelations of what the second coming of Christ is going to be like. We see that, but primarily, primarily in the New Testament, prophecy is not this ability to predict the future. It's not what it is, okay? Uh, it's, it's just an encouraging word to build up, to encourage, which again leads us to the next point. It's not primarily bad news, okay? It's not, listen, God, God's not going to prophesy and come to you and be like, you're going to get cancer, like that's, first of all, that's not building up, that's not encouraging, that's not consoling, right? That's just like, that's just bad news, right? That's what prophecy is, right? And, and again, when we, when we see prophecy in, in the media, it's typically people speaking bad news, right? This, this, there's going to be a war. There's going to be the end times. There's going to be a tsunami. There's going to be an earthquake. Everybody's going to die. That's, that's, just, that's just not what we see in the New Testament. It's a revelation from God, a, a, a momentary revelation from God for a specific person or for a specific small group of people to build them up, to encourage them, to console them. Lastly, uh, we could probably go on, but I'm going to give you one more. It's not a new revelation contrary to or in addition to what he's already laid out in Scripture. Friends, we, uh, we here at Flourishing Grace, if you've been around and you know this, we preach on this often. We are a people who are desperate for the Word of God in our lives. We're desperate for the Word of God in our lives. To be pressing the Word of God into our souls on a daily basis. And the Word of God is authoritative. It's foundational for the church. 
Prophecy does not change or alter the Word of God, and it does not change or alter our need for the Word of God. The Word of God is authoritative, and it is infallible. It is true, and it is to be obeyed. Prophecy, prophecy is not infallible. You can get it wrong. You, you, might, you, you might say something. You might feel like God has impressed something upon you, and you say, say you know what, here's what God has said to me, and here's what it means, and here's wrong. You, you just don't have it right. You may have a funky dream, and you know what, it, it, it's not prophecy. You just ate some bad Chinese food the, la- the night before. All right? Like, listen, the prophetic is not infallible, and it's not authoritative. It doesn't exist for the whole church. There's no new revelation for the whole church that's coming forth from you, right? Men that came forth from, from those early apostles, for those who laid hold and had, had a deep connection with, with Jesus, with the risen Christ, who saw him, who knew him. They laid their found, the foundation. They laid the groundwork. He inspired Scripture through them. Prophecy is not that. It's much smaller than that. It's much smaller than that. All right, how do we know if it's really God? Some of you might be kind of questioning or doubting. It's like, okay, all right, Josh. But how do you know? Okay, so somebody comes up to me and says, hey, God laid this word on my heart for you. Well, how do I know? Well, here's another difference between it and Scripture, right? Scripture is to be obeyed. Prophecy is to be tested. It's to be tested, right? We are to test prophecy. We see that in Scripture in different places. But Paul, in particular, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21, he says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, right? When somebody comes to you and has a word for you, don't be like, no, you're crazy. Just say, okay, is this real? Is this genuine? Is this good, right? First, we test it by the word of God. Does it align with the word of God? Or is it in, contra- is it in contradiction to the word of God, right? Somebody says, man, I have a prophecy for you. You are going to be rich and powerful and famous and, and wealthy, and everyone's going to bow down to you. Well, stack it next to the word of God. Blessed are the meek. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Does it, does it stand next to the word of God? No, no. They're just making that up. Or, or, they, or they're confused. They've got it wrong. Then we stack it next to our life. Is, the, is this true of my life? Is what is being said, is this true of my life? Is this really happening in my life? I'll, I'll give you an example. Someone comes and they say, gosh, I, I don't know. God has impressed upon me in my mind and laid on my heart a word for you. And I don't know what it means. It just keeps coming back. I know it's for you. It's, it's the, the name Kevin. And just press on. Keep going. Keep going. And you stack it next to Scripture and you're like, oh, that, I, don't, I don't know what that means, right? But the person who's receiving the word, right? The person who's receiving the word knows instantly because they know who Kevin is. Earlier that day, they had shared their faith with their coworker named Kevin, and Kevin had responded poorly. Kevin said, man, I don't, I don't have anything to do with the gospel. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. That stuff's weird. It's not for me. The church is not for me. 
And so through someone who does not know Kevin, who does not know the situation, who does not know what's going on in their life, but through someone in the church, God has given a word for them so that they might be encouraged and built up, that they might press on. God is saying, I have a plan for Kevin. I know Kevin. I know Kevin intimately, and I'm going to see him be brought to a place of salvation, and I want to use you to do that. So keep pressing on. Do not be discouraged. We can test that. We can test that in our lives. We know whether it has to do with me or not. Now, it's not always clear, but it's usually pretty clear or will become clear very soon. Now, to the person receiving the words, the person who's like, Kevin, and press on, like, I don't know what this means. You cannot test the word that is given to you. Only the person who receives that word can test it and say whether or not it's true, which makes it kind of confusing and kind of hard. But this is just the way it is. It's often confusing to us, but never confusing to the person who it's actually for. Right? In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. It's confusing for us when we receive it. We're unsure. But for the person who receives it, it brings them great peace. It's not confusing for them. It gives them peace. It gives them comfort. So we test it. We test the prophetic word. It's not always right. It's not always infallible. Sometimes we get it wrong. All right, let me give you this. I'm going to give you five keys to experiencing this, five keys to pursuing this in your life, right? If if we're called to earnestly desire this, especially prophecy, well, how do we do this? Uh, How do we do this? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit. That's deep. That's profound. I went to seminary. Um, no, it's dumb. It's easy. It's easy, right? We've said all along in this series, the key, intimacy is the key to access. Intimacy is the key to experience. If you do not have an intimate relationship with the Spirit of God in your life, you will not experience the gifts in your life. The two are directly linked. They're correlated. You cannot separate them. The more we walk in an intimate relationship with the Spirit, the more we experience His gifts in our lives. So if you want to experience the gifts, and especially prophecy, if you, if you earnestly desire them, you must cultivate a relationship of intimacy with the Spirit. As Paul says, we walk by the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. Let us develop a relationship with Him. And then let's pray. Let us ask God. God, would you, would you produce... In my life, Holy Spirit, would you manifest yourself through me? Would you produce the gifts in my life so that others might be blessed, that they might be comforted, that they might be healed, that they might be led, that they might be taught? Would you produce the gifts in me for the common good of those around me, especially prophecy? Would you give me a word today for someone in my life? Would you give me a word for somebody, maybe somebody at work, or maybe somebody in my family, and maybe somebody in my church? Do you give me a word for them, a word that would build them up and encourage them and console them? Would you give me a word for them today? And then we listen. We got to get quiet. You got to get quiet. If you can't, or not, if you cannot get quiet, you cannot hear. God wants to impress into your mind and push into your soul and lay on your heart a word for someone. But if you cannot get quiet, you cannot experience this. So I don't know what that place is for you. I don't know if it's in the car on your way to work or that one little private bathroom down the hall at work that no one ever goes to because it's like weird down there, but it's quiet, right? Nobody? Nobody has that? Okay. 
I'm alone. It's like the best place. You guys got you got the secret bathroom at work. Nobody's got that. Okay, forget it. You got to find that place where you can get quiet. Find that place where where you can just be still and you can listen. You can pray that prayer and you can wait and listen. And then we respond with humility. We respond with humility. We remind ourselves, this is not me. I cannot produce this. I cannot prophesy. The Spirit of God must manifest Himself through me into the life of someone else. I have no control here. The Spirit of God is going to do this as He wills, not as I will. And this is not for me. It's not so that I can be like, look how spiritual I am. Look how awesome I am. It's not for my platform. It's not for my fame. It's not for my renown. It's for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God, to the build up, to encourage, to console others. Not for me. Now there's joy. There's joy in it for me. There's deep joy and satisfaction and delight when you get to speak that word and you see the light bulb go on. Their mind is blown that God is drawing them near and loving them and revealing himself to them. There's joy in that. But it's not for us. And so we don't try to interpret it. We don't try to add to it. We don't try to do anything. We just say, man, listen, God laid you on my heart today. And I don't know what this means, but I, I just feel like he wants me to tell you this. Humbly. I don't know. Maybe it's nothing, but this is for you. And the last, the last thing is this, faithfully, faithfulness, faithfulness. La- last week, uh, or two weeks ago, Jake uh, was up here, and Jake gave this illustration of pitching in baseball, right? Jake was a pitcher in college and um, talked about this idea that n- no one in this room could go out and throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You just couldn't do it. If I was like, dude, I'll give you $1,000 if you can patch, put, throw a fastball 100 miles an hour. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. But when we want to build up our pitching, right, we work on these basic mechanics at a slow speed. Can I get the mechanics right at just 40 miles an hour? Can, can I just throw the ball in, with the proper mechanics at 40 miles an hour? Can, can I just... Can I move, walk humbly? Can I develop an intimate relationship with the Spirit? Can I prayerfully desire the gifts of my life? Can I get quiet and listen with humility and faithfulness? Just basic mechanics. And all of the gifts have a, have a velocity to them. And God may give you just that kind of that little 30 mile an hour, 40 mile an hour lob. Will you be faithful to it? You're not going to go out and pitch a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. No, no more than you are going to go out and, and just kind of have this big, beautiful, robust revelation from God today. You're just, you're just not. I, I, know, I know guys in my life who have experienced these profound, deep, intricate revelations from God. I'm like, I'm never experiencing anything like that. But they're faithful hundreds of times at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour before they ever get to something like that. I want to give you one example from, from this week. Actually, it was, it was uh, three weeks ago now. As we were getting ready, and we were, we, I had preached the first uh, sermon in the series and was convicted by this passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, to earnestly desire the gifts, especially prophecy, especially that you may prophesy. And I was sitting in my office here at Flourishing Grace, and I was praying that prayer, Spirit, would you cultivate in me a desire for the gifts? Would you produce 
through my life something that would bless the life of the church and bless the lives of those around me? Would, it, would you create in me gifts for the common good, especially prophecy? Would you give me a word for somebody today? Would you give me a word for somebody in my life? And then in the stillness and the quiet, he gave me a word, pressed it into my heart, laid it onto my mind. It was a person's name, and I knew who the person was. It was just their first name, but I knew exactly who it was. It was just pressed into me. And the word help. That's it. Just a little 30-mile-an-hour ball. The person's name, I knew who it was. And this is not a person that I would normally just kind of text out of the blue. It's not a person that I would say, hey, call them up, and, how's it going, how are you? It's, it's not that person. Somebody that I know, they know me, but it's still, it's just like they're not, they're not that person that I would just, you know, I mean. And so I sat there and I thought, well, that'd be weird. Later. I, later tonight, I'll reach out, I'll see how they're doing, I'll see what's going on. Friends, as sure as I stand here, I swear to you, it was not 15 minutes that I received a text from that person, a long text, about everything that was blowing up in their life, asking for help. I felt this big. I wasn't faithful. I was not faithful with the gift. I, I asked for it. I said, would you give it to me? Would you, would you give me a word for somebody in my life? It was given to me, and, and I, just, I just didn't do it. Can you imagine for a moment, can you imagine if I would have just shot a quick text or made a quick phone call and said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel like God laid you on my heart and I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. Like, first of all, that's not weird. Josh, that's not weird. If somebody, if, if, if a random person that I know would have said that to me, would have shot me a text and said, hey man, how are you doing? I feel like God's laid you on my heart. That's not weird. That's like, that's, that's like a nice thing to say to somebody. It's not weird. But in my mind, the mom was like, that's just too weird. It's not weird. Can you imagine the profound impact that it would have had on them to know that the God of all things is near to them, that knows the intimate details of their pain and of the sorrow, of the struggle that they're going through, that the God of all things is with them in that, consoling them, comforting them, exposing them to his love and to his beauty, just through two simple words. But they didn't receive that word. They didn't receive it. You can't go back. And, oh, by the way, that's lost. It's done. It's over. I was unfaithful to it. And so my hope for us this morning is that you would see that the gift of prophecy is supernatural, but it's not this big sensational thing. It's not what we see in the news. It's not what we see in the media. It's just simply God speaking to his people through his people that we would begin to long for it, desire it, earnestly desire the gifts, and especially above all of them, that we desire prophecy as Paul commands us to. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what we're called to. That we be a people who cultivate that intimacy with the Spirit, that we get quiet before Him with humbleness and faithfulness. That we would speak the words that He gives us. That we'd step out in faith and just trust that God has laid this on my heart, for a reason. Now, I don't need to know that reason, but the person who it's for, they will know. They can test it. They can see if this is good and right. 
And might the beauty of God be exposed here at Flourishing Grace. And we see him in a deep and profound and supernatural way as we pursue this together. Let's bow our heads. Here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you've surrendered yourself to him, you say, man, the word of God is authoritative. It holds authority over all of my life. There is a command for you to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. And so would you join with me this morning in just praying that prayer? It's simple. Spirit, would you produce in me the gifts? Would you give me a hunger and a desire for them, especially prophecy? Would you give me a word for somebody this morning? Would you give me a word for somebody in this room? Would you give me a word for somebody in my life? Would you press it into my mind and lay it on my heart? Would you give me a word this morning? Friends, it's my prayer that for those of you in the room who have received a word this morning, that you'd be humbled before God and that you'd be faithful to that word. So you'd be faithful to speak it to that person. Maybe you need to shoot a quick text. Maybe you need to quickly walk across the room and share that with someone. My hope and my cry is that you'd just be faithful to that. that you would know that it is God wanting to speak to his people through his people.